Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Starting this with next to no financial backing um, actually made it more necessary for us to have the answers to every single question, to have planned better, to have a stronger foundation, to have more, uh, have done more feasibility studies, to have every... Hello and welcome to the Aronex Show, a podcast about the shipping and the ocean space. It's powered by Fathom World and I'm Craig Eason and that was Daniel Doggett. She's the CEO of Sail Cargo, a company she launched to do something very, very different. This episode of the Aronax Show is dedicated to the Ship of the Jungle, a wooden ship being built in a wooden shipyard on the coast of Costa Rica and destined to sail with sustainable cargoes by shippers seeking sustainable shipping up and down the west coast of the Americas. I was drawn to the story of Siva, as the vessel will be known, not only because of the extremeness of the idea, but how sail cargo is going to sail in a competitive market, and according to Doggett's plans, make money. According to the website, Siva is a 46 metre, or will be a 46 metre, three-masted square-rigged wooden schooner. Its cargo capacity is modest, the equivalent of nine 20-foot containers under the deck. This vessel looks like a romantic and some will no doubt say foolish dream of returning to the past. Perceba will have a battery system on board to power two electric engines and have the ability to use its propellers while under sail power as turbines and generate electricity to recharge those. I spent an hour on a Zoom call with Danielle, me in my home studio in Sweden and she in her wooden shipyard in the jungles of Costa Rica, which is more than evident in the background noises throughout the interview. I wanted to know how this carbon positive plan would make money, and to dig into her plans for the future vessels which include fuel cells with the potential for onboard hydrogen generation and even other larger vessels which she's currently collaborating with other potential partners on. But I began by asking Danielle about the challenges of not only deciding to build a sustainable ship, but to build a sustainable shipyard and find cargo owners who really believe in sustainable supply chains, even enough to invest in them. Yeah, and you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, as well, add to that that that's, this is approximately a $4.2 million project, and we started this with $10,000 Canadian, which is about $7,000. And that's that was it. So uh, it, was, it, it made it actually starting this with next to no financial backing um, actually made it more necessary for us to have the answers to every single question, to have planned better, to have a stronger foundation, to have more, uh, have done more feasibility studies, to have every everything figured out because we needed our investors to trust us. It's not easy to say to somebody you've never met, please send $20,000 to this account in Central America where I'm standing in a field <laughs> and we have nothing to show for it. So we needed to have those answers. Something important that you've brought up is that we are a for-profit business model, while we actually do maintain a lot of non-profit organization goals and values. So I actually worked as a volunteer or very close to volunteer for almost 10 years of my life. And so very familiar with the nonprofit sector and very, very much in love with it. Uh, but that wasn't the point of this business. So we wanted to say exactly as you said, we can hold up our numbers and the 
you know, it's a much smaller scale, but hold up our numbers and the numbers beside Maersk or any other for-profit shipping company. And we, we could say, look, we did it. We paid our taxes. We paid our investors. We paid our crew and we did it carbon negative. And so that was very, very important for us to be able to say that. And so we do have, as I said, values that are more traditionally associated with being in the nonprofit sector, which to me, this makes no sense why they're associated only with that, but it's called a triple bottom line. So you care about the environment, you care about people and you care about financing. I do believe that the for-profit world is moving towards that. A lot of people disagree with me, but it's the only way to make long-term financial sense. Uh, and so that those things are inherent in our business model. How do you see this then scaling up? You've got the CBAR, uh, which is, is it still going to be launched next year, 2022? Is it still on schedule? It's going to be launched. How do you see that scaling up? So yes, uh, we are actually still on schedule, which is <laughs> really amazing to say. Uh, we'll see if we're on schedule when it actually gets in the water, but <laughs> we are. And it's very interesting a lot of people think that Seba is a symbolic flagship and, you know, it's it's nice, but it's not scalable. I'd actually completely disagree. And when I look at how can we decarbonize the maritime sector, we do look at scaling up, but actually we really look at scaling out in all directions. And so here, for example, in where I live in the Gulf of Nicoya, it's a beautiful bay in the Pacific in Costa Rica, we have an artisanal fishing cooperative here that has 90 boats, uh, little open boats that are about five meters or 15 feet long. And this is, uh, one, by the way, one of the poorest communities in the entire country, which is where we are located. And we're looking at their little boats and saying, how can we decarbonize that industry? Because that's the entire Gulf. That's what all those families depend on. So we are looking as, as small as little open boats, and we are looking as large as very large commercial steel vessels as well. And so with Seba, what we want to do is prove the value of clean shipping, which actually we've already done that. Seba has already achieved her mission because we have so many letters of intent from cargo clients that we could easily justify building a second ship of the same design. Um, so we see the scaling in, in all, all ways that the maritime industry uh, is active. Tell me a little bit about the cargo side of it then, because I quite often hear from ship owners that there's a bit of a, it's not a tense dialogue, but let's just say some of the stumbling blocks are often between what the shipping groups say they can do and what the cargo owners, the charterers say they want and are willing to pay. And there seems to be a bit of a standoff there when you look at more traditional charter parties, when you look at the uh, the, uh, the arrangement, the commercial arrangement that they have got between each other. That seems to be a bit of a stumbling block, but you're saying here that you've managed to identify, how have you managed to find so many cargo owners um, that are willing to fill the Sabre and another vessel? Well, they've, they've found us, as far as I can understand, they've, they've really found us. And it's simple. They recognize that by eliminating their carbon footprint, they add value to the product. And that's just a simple mental shift and people have begun to, to make that shift. And so when I can say to somebody, uh, you know, this is one reason actually we, we identified Canada as an interesting place to go because, for example, coffee does not grow in Canada at any commercial scale whatsoever. Maybe somebody has a tree in a greenhouse privately, but uh, or a plant rather. So when I, assuming that there is no coffee grown in Canada, and I go to Vancouver, which Vancouver loves coffee, they're massive coffee drinkers, and I go to a, a high-end roastery that is, you know, say they have micro lot, biodynamic, fair trade 
uh, eco packaging, organic. They're they're all the things. They are not carbon neutral. They are not carbon negative. Not truly. They can offset it. But every single bean that's brought into Canada has a carbon footprint associated with it. And so if a roaster in Vancouver can say we are the first and the only carbon neutral coffee in the entire province of British Columbia, that's going to add value to their product. We're not looking at a very large ship here, are we? And um, it's a balance, surely, being profitable uh, for the cargo owners to be able to sail it on that vessel, because are they then going to find that their prices are going to have to be higher as a result of putting something onto your vessel? Uh, actually, absolutely not. It's a surprising thing to say, but no. Uh, on the route that we've been looking at, which is Costa Rica to Vancouver, if they the end product, which is uh, you know one kilo of coffee on the on the shelf or two point two pounds of coffee, that would be somewhere in the range of Canadian thirty dollars, so call it twenty twenty five dollars or so a kilo. Um, basically, they would have to add around seventy cents to that final, final end product. And for something that some, for that, that kind of product where people are already willing to pay a little bit more, that was not a barrier. And actually in conversations with our single largest cargo client uh, who signed signed a letter of intent, um, which is a coffee roaster, we've been able to, we worked with them to create a new business plan and we would actually be able to exactly pre- price match their current service. Okay, so there's a good market, um entry point there the good market incentive that would yes, make but at, at the same time sorry sorry to cut you off at the same time so we could match their current service price which i was i was surprised to find that out myself uh, but there why why should we this is we are providing a premium service and this is a premium uh you know exclusive opportunity now for this client we work really closely with we are going to do everything we can to lower the price but why should we say it's cheaper than the subsidized fossil fuel industry before I go on to talking about what your plans are for the future, um, there's another question about um, what you're doing there today. When it came to building a traditional style vessel like you've got there, a three-masted schooner, uh, square-rigged, when it came to building ships like that, where on earth did you find the shipwright skills to do so? <laughs> so all the, we, we, don't, we don't really need to look for people. They come to us from around the world. We've had a very around 26 different nations participate already in this build of this vessel. And the reason they come to us is this is, unless there's a undocumented, I can't say it properly, Finisi, Indonesian vessel that, that's not being properly documented, this will be the largest traditional wooden build currently in the world of a ship. And so we attract world-class timber framers and shipwrights like, like bees to honey. So that's amazing. And it's interesting, this ship, Seba, is the largest ship of any kind built in the history of Costa Rica, of any material. As well, when she's launched, she will be the largest emission-free cargo ship in the entire world at 9 TEU, with people that are building out of wood in the jungle, with starting with $7,000. To me, that's like mind-boggling. That's how slow the competitive shipping industry is, is that we're winning by, like, with a hammer and a chisel. And, and they're not doing it. I don't understand. So Sable will be the largest in the world uh, with nine TEU. <laughs> I guess in one way you've set the bar high, but at the same time, you've set it quite low at the same time, haven't you? Anyone should be able to beat that. Come on, guys. <laughs> Take my title away. Like, please. <laughs> I want the shipping industry to change, you know? So Sable will be the largest, but I hope it's not for long. There, there better be bigger boats soon. How, how are you working with um, 
bringing this vessel Sabre into the maritime industry. When you bring an ordinary ship in, you've got to go through all the classification requirements. You've got all the safety requirements, the flagging. You've got all of those international trade um, regulations that you need to abide by. How are you going through with that? Have you, have you found any obstacles that you've had to um, overcome in terms of bringing a vessel like this into international trade? Well, we are going through that process currently. So SABA will be fully classed up to modern safety standards and adhering to all those regulation, regulations. We are hoping to have the flag state be here in Costa Rica, though that does present some challenges because there are really no precedents here set for that. And so they also are, the maritime industry here is kind of small uh, and they don't, for example, they don't recognize ABS, they don't recognize other things. So whether or not she's actually flagged in Costa Rica is still to be determined, but um, yeah, she'll adhere to, to all of those. One of the largest problems that I don't think that we will really face simply because of where we're based, but would typically be a commercial vessel built out of wood. And this is one reason that SABA is not and will never be built in Canada because Transport Canada, which is the, the ministry there, does not recognize wood as a viable material to make any commercial vessel out of, uh, which is absurd because we've been doing it as a human race for thousands of years. And this is absurd to me. Uh, you cannot, you're not gonna get an exemption and your vessel also, you would not get one grandfathered in. Uh, but for example, the United States has a nationwide exemption to this. And which is why they have such a thriving, beautiful wooden boat building tradition that's still alive. So you can't build a commercial vessel in Canada made of wood? It's not gonna happen. Some people might tell you you could apply for an exemption, uh, but I've, I've I'm familiar with it for many years, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> It's very unfortunate. And maybe one day when I'm older, I'll work for Transport Canada and I can't wait to strike that from the from the paperwork. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your future plans because you, you made it clear on the website that Sabre is a flagship. You're not stopping at one vessel. This isn't just a showboat. This is uh, a commercial enterprise and there are commercial goals. So what are your plans? Tell me a little bit now about what you're doing next because you can't continue to build um, Sabre after Sabre in, in uh where you're building it at the moment, you'd probably run out of wood before long. Well, it's funny you say that. So we, as I said earlier, are looking to expand kind of in multi-directional, many different ways. And so really we do actually, okay, it's not announced. I didn't say this. We're going to announce we are building a second ship of this design. You guys didn't hear it here though. And that'll be announced quite soon. And no, there's no, 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 you can build with wood. We actually have an inherent tree planting program and Seba is mandated to plant 12,000 trees before she hits the water. I think we've put around at the end of this year, it'll be 5,000 trees in the ground. And we've only cut down maybe 500. So we're planting at least 10 times more. We've, and 500 is pretty much the highest number that will be used for the ship. Um, so we're planting many, many more. Uh, but here in Costa Rica, they have some of the most strict forestry laws and it's one of the only countries in the world where the national forest is actually increasing in size every year and this is something that's very important for us to be able to verify that we are getting wood in a sustainable and regenerative manner actually right now we have a non-profit branch and they're running their trees for seas tree planting campaign uh, so if you want to plant a tree you can contribute that way but to answer your question we're also looking at building large commercial ships and we are forming some partnerships right now that are very exciting 
uh, with port authorities and industrial shipyards and naval architects, and they're really the best from around the world. And if everything falls into place, which we're not sure if it will, there would be guaranteed cargo contracts for those vessels as well, the large commercial ones. So these larger commercial vessels, will they all but also be looking at wood constructions or are you looking at expanding your uh, vessel types as well? Yeah, these would actually be built of steel. And this is a big step for us because Seba is very beautiful uh, because she is inherently carbon negative and organic and her life cycle will be very beautiful when that ship comes to its end of its life, which could be as long as 100 years, it's made of wood and it goes back to the earth. And of course, steel is a natural material from earth, but it's not really the same uh, when you look at life cycle analysis. So I'm happy to say, uh, you know, if we build a large steel vessel, I'd write imperfect. I'd paint the word imperfect very large on the side of it. So even if the operation is carbon neutral, because we would not be using fossil fuels of any kind, the steel itself has a very heavy carbon and social footprint, which is something that we need to look into before I can really comment further. But we do intend to do feasibility studies and environmental impact studies on that. I'm aware that the, uh, the production of steel is uh, particularly intensive um production um in terms of energy needs i know there's there are projects I've, I've read of some research going into looking at renewable energy to provide electrification of, of steel production in terms of how the uh, the iron ore is is melted down to produce the steel but i believe it's very much in its its infancy so that and that was one of the questions i had about how you would how you could justify that switch to steel given what you were saying before yeah, well, and it's funny, you know, with Seba, we're we're very environmentally inclined. We're we're you know really bordering on being activists, I guess, in some way. And people always ask us, how can you be environmental if you're cutting down trees? You should build out of steel so you don't cut down trees. And I say, do you know the first step of making a mine? You clear cut. You clear cut, and it's typically in Brazil has all the world's largest iron mines. So you clear cut the Amazon, and then you start. So no, it's not more <laughs> sustainable than building with wood. But this is something we haven't, we, we, we don't have a formal answer on yet. How do we justify working with steel, except which we will be, uh, as I said, doing research on that and having statements and having carbon offsets and, and talking about that. But the justification is decarbonize the maritime industry, inspire others to do more and work towards a better future. And they said they invented the light bulb working by candlelight you know so you kind of have to work with what you have and push that forward and that's what we're doing so again i, I would paint in large letters imperfect on the side of that vessel i know in the saber you're, you're looking at other technologies on board you're looking at having uh, fuel cells and uh, hydrogen and another area that i found really really quite interesting is this ability to use the propeller when you're under sail to gen to basically generate electricity to then um, as electrolysis and then generate your own hydrogen on board. Do you see this as being a um, something that you can demonstrate on larger vessels as well, this ability to use fuel cells and use um, your own hydrogen generation? So just a quick point, Seba, the actual first ship we're building is going to be powered by two 150 kilowatt electric engines, which are supported by a very large battery bank. So those will be regenerated using the solar panels and as well, as you said, the propellers. So when the ship is actually being propelled forward using the sails, we can adjust that variable pitch propeller and just generate as much drag or resistance and create electricity as, as we desire. We have conducted uh, in, I hope that's the right word now, in partnership where we have contracted a 
feasibility study for a SABA type vessel for using green hydrogen fuel cells to power the ship. And this is something we're just beginning to explore now that's very exciting. SABA seems to, according to the study, which we've been reading, uh, is by Ad Astra Rocket Company, which is an affiliate of NASA. SABA seems to be the smallest vessel that hydrogen becomes feasible at. Uh, and so for to really scale hydrogen, you want to have larger and larger ships, or at least larger and larger applications and then that can justify a ship using that so we're even looking at potentially having a hydrogen green hydrogen production facility here at our shipyard called astero verde is the name of the shipyard which would power potentially a sailor type ship all of the work at the shipyard and up to a fleet of 90 open boats of fishing boats that i referred to so when you have larger applications even smaller ones make sense if they can fit in as part of it yeah. the reason i was asking about that i've i I'm aware of the Energy Observer, which is sailing around the world, demonstrating solar power, wind power, and the ability to generate its own hydrogen on board for a hydrogen PEM fuel cell. And that's why I was interested in how you're taking what is essentially what I see there as a demonstration of hyd onboard hydrogen generation and actually putting it into a um, into living um, mm -hmm. commercial space here, and then even scaling it up. Mm -hmm. even further yeah, to make it even more viable. Yeah, absolutely. We're very excited about moving forward with potential hydrogen in a large commercial commercial vessel. So this is very, very early stages, but it, according to, I, I got to meet an astronaut on two days ago, Dr. Franklin Chen, who's the founder of Ad, Ad Astra Rocket Company. And he believes that it is possible and scalable and would be viable uh, to do it on a very large scale. But basically we're driven by the fact that we will not use fossil fuel. So we're not clinging to it like all every single other design out there of large commercial vessels. So, you know, for example, Ocean Bird reduces their um, use by 90%, but they're just clinging <laughs> to this fossil fuel. And I don't really know why. So as soon as you eliminate that from the equation, other things start to look more interesting. Go back to the scaling up um, aspect. And uh, with the Sabre, you've got, um, certain limits that you've got on the size of the vessel that when you designed it but you're saying with these other vessels when they become larger vessels then as you're moving forward you're looking at larger vessels and how do you see will you put them into the same kind of trade that you've got planned for Sabre um, where you've got long-term contracts with cargo owners who really want to demonstrate that kind of sustainable um chain of their the logistics chain yes absolutely and we it looks like as these as these contracts come together so i can't say that they are secured yet but all every single one of our larger conversations they all want exclusivity so they recognize the value of that they want to have long-term exclusive contracts to really lock in the fact that they are special they are the ones who have this and they do not want to lose that service to to a higher pay, a higher bidder. Uh, and so because there are so few ships, there's almost no ships available right now. And we're seeing a pretty, pretty competitive uh, conversations actually. Do you think you'll soon start to see competitors emerge? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I hope we do. And I hope we see competitors emerge, but I just don't really see it happening. As I've said, this even ocean bird which is a very wonderful example i have the whole thesis study here on, on my bookshelf clings to 
fossil fuel. So until there is a vessel that simply lets it go and they are emission free and they are carbon negative or minimum operational as carbon neutral, we literally do not have a competitor because we offer a different service. So what kind of influence do you think you're having on the maritime sector? I'm not sure. Sometimes I feel a little bit removed here in their jungle shipyard in Costa Rica and I don't always get to get out and really see what's going on. But uh, just last week, I actually returned from a sort of reconnaissance mission to the Bahamas, to Grand Bahama and to New Providence, which is where Nassau is. And they, it seems like people are catching on basically that this isn't simply a greenwashing gimmick fad. This is long-term financial stability and this is resilience and we see this with the ever given and we see this with the covid pandemic and we see this with the fluctuating oil prices and because of covid the lack of access to oil uh shipping grinding to a halt the the resilience factor is is in our faces and we people literally can't get the things they want to order on amazon and this frustrates people so it's in their face now. You, you said that the, this is a sort of a $4 million uh, project and you started off with barely, I don't know, just a, a, few, a few thousand dollars in your back pocket almost. How have you managed to get those funds in and what sort of business do you see this becoming? Because I see on your website, you're still looking uh, for funding to be a part, to be a, a stakeholder, a shareholder in sail cargo that is still part of your plan because obviously that's the business model so how how are you um managing with that process because at first glance people might think oh i'm investing in a charity wonderful but you're not you're a business they're they're making a, a financial investment so what would i if i invest in sea cargo what do i get out of it right now our only investment opportunity is to invest directly in SEBA, the ship, which is represented by a company called Inversiones Maritimas SEBA. And that's an entity that just represents that ship. And you would own a part of that ship and the returns would come from the, the operation of that vessel. And you can actually email me right now, if you'd like at info at sailcargo.org. And I'll send you a info pack on all the return on investment projections. We, we present a 25 year plan, uh, but really it's a, it's a very long-term investment as well. And so the operation of this ship should, with proper maintenance, be up to 100 years. And if you if you look at a container vessel that's out there right now, the average age is 10.5 years. And so we, there are some really interesting details about our business plan that, that really tend to convince people. What we will be doing soon, very, very soon, is opening up to receive investment with the umbrella company called Sail Cargo Inc. And that's going to signify the shift that we're making from only doing smaller wooden vessels and potentially scaling up into a pretty competitive, large commercial sector. Uh, but basically just keep your eye on us and watch for these investment opportunities, but they're gonna be popping up. That was Danielle Doggett from Sail Cargo on the future plans for Seba, a Seba twin and her ideas on sustainable steel-hulled vessels in the future. And I hope to talk to Danielle again later in the year to hear how these plans have been developing. That's nearly all for this week. Now we have time to get our latest transformation news from Nick Chubb of Thetius. Thanks, Craig. Marine robotics company Ocean Infinity has announced that it has acquired software engineering firm Abyssal. Abyssal develops safety and efficiency software systems for the offshore industry, uh, and they're particularly geared towards subsea operations. 
as part of the Ocean Infinity uh, group, uh, the team will be expected to grow their software development capabilities and expand the range of robotics and data acquisition services uh, that it can offer to its marine customer base. Over in the US, the consulting arm of Class Society ABS has launched a new cybersecurity service designed to help organizations to monitor, manage, and reduce the threat of operational technology or OT cyber attacks. The new cybersecurity managed services offering provides continuous monitoring of critical infrastructure and OT networks for cyber threats, as well as supporting the timely restoration of an organization's systems for safe operations in line with disaster recovery plans. Staying on that side of the Atlantic in New York, the startup Orbit MI has announced her partnership with Lloyd's List Intelligence to become a provider of both vessel characteristics uh, as well as company and ownership data for tankers. Orbit is designed with an integration layer to pull in multiple systems and data feeds into one interface, uh, allowing the company to flexibly respond to customer demands. The real-time data from Lloyd's List Intelligence will allow the Orbit team to offer its customers with insights that empower them to make better decisions and ultimately move business forward. Coming back across the Atlantic and Vartzilla and Morocco's port of Tangier Med have teamed up to develop a new port management information system that will enhance operational efficiency, port safety and environmental sustainability uh, via data exchange. The partners are working together to deploy some new smart port tools, including just-in-time vessel solutions, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, for port digitalization and operations. Lastly, congratulations go to Propel, a UK-based social media and recruitment platform designed for seafarers. They've just launched version two of their service after completing a crowdfunding campaign that raised about $160,000 with the company noting that a number of seafarers themselves have actually invested to become uh, shareholders in the firm. The goal of the site is to assist seafarers in managing their career and finding jobs while supporting conversations between those working within the industry. Propel 2.0 includes the rollout of features including an upgraded digital dis discharge book for job applications, a new way of securely sharing documents called Propel Check, and discussion groups known as cabins. Nick Chubb from Thetius ending this episode of the Aronex Show. And on a final personal note, if you do like this podcast, I really do appreciate it if you could rate it, share it and give it a thumbs up. Such small acts do nothing more than make me feel good and reassure me that people want what we have to offer. And I'd also, of course, encourage you to visit the Fathom World website where you can read more on the stories that I cover on the podcast, such as this one about sail cargo, and where you can also subscribe for our ever-popular but still occasional newsletter. Until the next time, goodbye.